You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Time to talk defense here on today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean. I cover the Suns and the NBA at SB Nation, as well as Dime Magazine, and you can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. You can also, most importantly, follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnPHXSuns, where you can uh, give me your prediction for this series and uh, what could come in the next round. I'm already there. I'm sure many of you are as well. This is uh, a series where it just does not look like Denver has too much of a shot. So to talk about that series with me, I brought on Jackson Frank, one of my favorite people to speak with for the show, somebody who's come on this podcast countless times and who knows basketball really, really well, covers the whole league, watches stuff at a very granular level, and uh, that's why I like to bring him on. We talk about the series so far. We talk about the Suns' defense in particular, as I said at the top. And we get into what's just made this Suns team so special and what uh, their future might hold, uh, if there is anything Denver can do. And then more importantly, getting into the next round, just between the Clippers and the Jazz, where the Suns stack up there and what uh, what we could see in a set in a conference final setting. So uh, let's get right into it, guys. Today, ep- today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned later in the show for the Ultra Moment of the Week segment coming up later in the show. All right, let's get right into it, guys. Jackson Frank covers the league at Dime Magazine, The Analyst, Locker Room, all over the place, and he is joining us today. Let's go. You wrote about the adjustments, some of the the cool things that the Suns were able to do in game one to take advantage of Denver. We saw, honestly, uh, a lot of the same in terms of that just high-level in-game adjustment and IQ that this team has demonstrated all season long really but especially this postseason what have you seen out of these suns so far and uh what what uh what do you make of just how how dominant that they've been yeah i mean offensively they're they are such a different type of attack than than the blazers um obviously the blazers had success offensively against against the nuggets um but it's different right it was mostly high high screen roll for damian lillard letting him do his thing because he's an incredible player but um, you know, the Suns have two great offensive engines and in, in CP and Devin Booker, but, um, you know, they're not, they're not the guys who are going to, you know, they're not going to drop 45 and 10 on you every game. Now Booker had his phenomenal game, you know, dropped 47 against the Lakers in game six, but um, they, they're just so good about ball movement. Their schemes are so good. They keep players and the defense in motion. They really force the defense to, you know, to make the least ideal decision. Um, you know, they, because they, their starting five obviously is two really good ball handlers, two awesome spot up three point shooters who can do a little bit with when they put the ball on the floor, and then Aiton, who you know has been great as a finisher all year and even better in the playoffs. So um, when you have the talent plus the scheme to really force defenses to make the least, you know, or the most favorable bad decision, uh, it's really tough. And Denver is just lacking um, in the defensive personnel department, um, partly because of you know some health and injury related things, but also. I think they would still have some issues, even if even if guys like PJ Dozier and Jamal Murray were playing, and Will Barton was able to play a full minute's workload. So I'm really impressed with the offense, but obviously the defense too against Jokic has been phenomenal. They really um, done a good job of making things tough for him, and then uh, you know forcing the other guys to beat them, which sounds cliche, obviously, but there's just not a lot of offensive talent around him um, right now. You know, forcing Aaron Gordon to make decisions as a creator, which is where he's 
was kind of his downfall in Orlando. And it was supposed to be when he came to Denver, he wouldn't have to do that as much. But, you know, with guys like, you know, Murray out and Barton, you know, out for part of this, the playoffs, um, it's tough. So Phoenix just has both kind of a, they have a, they have a talent advantage, but they also pair that with a really, really good scheme that forces Denver to make a lot of tough decisions. Yeah. The offense has been enormous. I think what's stood out to me and you talk about the effect of Chris Paul and Monty Williams on this team has just been, like so much of the storyline going into that first round was the the experience disadvantage that the Suns were at, right? Like, you know, can they adjust? Can they, you know, just handle some of the 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 pressure and the the momentousness of of some of these playoff games and and going up against a superstar and all? And I feel like Denver's actually has a, a similar type of thing as far as what you would imagine would be an advantage over the Suns and for the Suns to not only nullify that, but actually sort of uh, rise above it and, and be the one that's setting the tone for these games really for the entirety of both series, in my opinion, except for those couple of bad losses in round one has just been awesome. But I think the offense has gotten a lot of attention. So I do want to look at the defense a little bit. Denver is shooting 43% from the field in this series, 34% from three averaging 11 turnovers per game. We saw the Suns do things a little bit differently last night. I mean, they were in sort of like a matchup zone, it sort of seemed like at times. They were still being creative and and interesting with how they were sending extra attention at Jokic, switching at the top of the arc a little bit, sending help from you know smart places. That's something they did against the Lakers, I thought, as well. What have you seen from the defense? And it's just like you said, specifically, it's like, I don't really know what to make of the depleted numbers that Jokic is putting up because I felt like going in, like, you know, he'll get his 30. It's just a matter of does everyone else step up? And he's not even doing that right now. He's playing really well, but he's not had those scoring numbers. What have you seen there? Yeah, I mean, truthfully, uh, I think Jokic has underwhelmed a little bit. Not necessarily, mostly outside of his doing, again, the the personnel around him is not ideal. And it hurts when, when Michael Porter Jr. is struggling like he has, especially in game two. Um, but I mean, 23, 13 and six and 30 minutes is very good on, on solid efficiency. Um, but it's not quite the MVP level, you know, production. So that's not to criticize him so much as like, I think the Phoenix, the, the Suns are doing a really good job on him and he's maybe not quite playing quite as well as he did in the first round, um, against a much worse defense, uh, and maybe not as well as he did in the regular season when he, when he won MVP as he should have. Um, but what they've done, as you mentioned too, is I've liked, I liked how, I think it was midway through game one. Um, they really started switching kind of the pick and pops, you know, when they, when they could, when they could get Mikel and Aiton to be defending a pick and pop involving Jokic, they would just switch that because they're like, you know, Mikel has better mobility. He still has very good length. So he can maybe kind of, you know, fluster or alter Jokic's, you know, uh, you know, jumper, obviously Jokic has a really funky high release point. So it's tough, but, um, they switched a lot of those kind of starting maybe either in the second quarter or third quarter of game one. And they've kind of maintained that in game two. Uh, and then midway through game two, I believe, um, you know, because Denver started using Jokic off the ball, he burned eight in a couple of times early in the game for a couple of buckets or one foul as well. And so they just, they really just started kind of ignoring everyone else. They're going under every screen against Composo and Rivers. Um, they're encouraging Aaron Gordon to, to create off the bounce, which is not really his strong suit. He's best, you know, attacking mismatches and, you know, making, you know, finishing transitions, spotting up, cutting to the rim, um, you know, Porter, I think, you know, there, I think Mikel's done some good things against Porter, but at the same time, MPJ is just missing a lot of the, you know, kind of the tough, tougher shots that he's, you know, made throughout most of the entire season. 
Um, but I just think they've done a really good job of, of recognizing and kind of, you know, knowing their personnel that they're up against. And, you know, I think, I think I saw a, f- a phrase that Mike Prada used was like the shrink and, and switch maybe was a phrase he was using for the Suns defense against Jokic, but they're really just shrinking the floor against him is the best way to like, they're just making it tough because Jokic is the only guy who can really play make in, in that starting five. Uh, you bring in a guy like Will Barton, um, who played very well yesterday. You know, actually, I thought Will Barton was quite good. Um, but they don't really have any – I mean, Composo's a good passer, but the fact of the matter is if you trap Composo on the ball and, and make the – and then, you know, front Jokic, Composo can't make that skip pass to the corner, even maybe the one past a couple of defenders in the opposite wings. So um, they've just really done a good job of you know, saying, okay, we know these, these spots on the floor are going to leave open because we know the Nuggets can't exploit that area and we're going to do – we're going to use that to our advantage by sending help elsewhere toward Jokic or toward MPJ. So um, just really mean they're going up against a kind of an undermanned team and they have a good approach and, and scheme to, to exploit those holes that Denver's, you know, you know, limited personnel presents. Yeah. Obviously a huge, um, a huge part of that is, is Deandre Ayton being able to at least hold up to a large degree in, in, you know, his matchup just one-on-one against Jokic enough where that help can come and, and then they can, break down the floor from there and and the foul trouble that he was able to overcome in game two was important. And the fact that the Suns, like you said, they're comfortable in spots with either Bridges or even Crowder on Jokic in a pinch. And they're again, to go back to that IQ, like one of the things that I think you have to be, if you're going to play that aggressive style of defense and they've even taken it up a notch money installed a pretty um, over help, you know, extra guy at the nail, all these little things that he built up when he first got here, but they've taken it to another level. And I think a big part of being able to do that is you have to know how to recover out of it. Right. You have to, like, there was a play going around, I think from Steve Jones jr. Uh, during game one, where they defended a pick and roll. I think it was when Jermichael green was on the floor, Booker was defending the ball handler. And one of those where they sort of funnel the ball handler down, he didn't really have a shot at the rim and, you know, normally that could be a, a pocket pass to to Green, who's rolling, right? Kind of come back around and, and give it to him. That that tends to be open sometimes if the ball handler can keep their dribble. And they like at the very last moment of that play sort of re-switched where Booker in an, you know, you you almost see it in his brain. He realizes it, gets back, has a handout, prevents that pass from Green, and the possession just sort of dies. It's it was a little, little version of something we've seen throughout this series, which is when they send help, when they rotate, when they make that, that floor shrink, they're able to really in an instant switch it back to either what it was in the first place, or they just find, you know, a new way to make the matchups work. And the the clock is, is dwindling by that point. And it's not too much of a problem, but they're just, their, their, their court awareness and their personal personnel awareness, like you said, has just been insane for a team this young. It really, really is, has been impressive. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you have Aiton has done a great job, and I, I was especially impressed with Aiton because, quite frankly, he didn't get off to a good start yesterday on either end. He a couple of fouls, you know, Jokic being on the floor a couple of times as well. I think um, settled for a couple of jumpers, had a turnover off an offensive rebound, a um, couple of fouls early, one of five to start the game, and then he he made his next five shots, and he didn't get a foul the rest of the way. He was it was really impressive. You know, Aiton I think is by all means you know deserved and earned the benefit of the doubt with his play over the last three or four months. Um, but still, I don't think that's the way Aiton of, of six months ago would have ended a game or Aiton year two um, would have ended a game. I think he might have, you know, struggled. Maybe he goes two for 11, picks up four fouls and plays 18 minutes. 
Um, and so I, I've just been really impressed with the way he's handled things. And uh, I was talking with someone, I don't recall who, but um, in round one with the Nuggets, it was all about Jokic being able to wear down Nurkic, right? Like the first half of, you know, Nurkic would probably, he'd stay out of foul trouble. And then he would just be so fatigued by guarding Jokic that he'd, he'd make, he'd set an illegal screen or he'd reach where he didn't have to defensively. And, and he would foul out of most of those games. And um, it's been the opposite. I think with Aiton where Aiton is so well conditioned, he's, I think he's pleased way up in the minutes right now. I think he's playing about 35 a game compared to about 30, 31 in the regular season. Uh, and he is just by the end, like by the third quarter, fourth quarter, Jokic is just gassed, not necessarily all because of Aiton, but because they're asking Jokic to hedge and show on pick and rolls a lot. And he has to battle so hard to get good shots or quality shots up against Aiton. Um, and then he, he has to try and do what he can to contain Aiton in the open floor because Aiton is sprinting end to end when there's a fast break for, for the Suns. So um, huge credit to, to Aiton for one, you know, battling through a rough start yesterday and two, you know, kind of being, you know, you don't, you, Typically, you'd expect the superstar MVP to be the one that wears down the third-year young guy who's kind of in the middle of a breakout season. But it's been the opposite, where Jokic gets off to pretty solid starts in these couple of games, and and by maybe four minutes, five minutes to go in the third quarter, he has just had to work so hard, largely because of what Aiton presents on both ends, that he just doesn't quite have the legs to do all the incredible things that we're accustomed to seeing him do. I mean, he, I don't know if he airballed, but he badly missed a corner three in game one in the third quarter, and it was like, yeah, this dude's this dude's gas. He missed a couple of rotations. And I'm not saying Jokic is like incredible when it comes to protecting the rim, but he's pretty good about getting to the right spots and kind of using his hands to make things happen. And he just hasn't been able to do that as much because of some of the things Aiton is doing, as well as how much Denver is asking him to, you know, do on both ends, obviously offense, but it's, yeah. it's tiring to have to, you know, hedge and contain and trap, you know, 12 Devin Booker, Chris Paul, pick and rolls <laughs> and handoffs every, every game or quarter. Yeah, for sure. And and I think the Suns, one of the things about that is the Suns have been able to um to to reattack possession after possession, you know, re reset up their because they have those two ball handlers. And Portland does too, but I think that that, that offense is not as dynamic as this one, despite the talent to potentially be that. I just don't see that from Portland, whereas the Suns can can pierce and puncture you and then find that mismatch and attack it in a way that Portland just doesn't do. But uh, yeah, the, back to that defense too. 104.2 defensive rating for the Suns in this playoffs so far. Obviously, since going down two to one against the Lakers, they are on a five-game winning streak, and and they're playing excellent on both ends. But I wanted to give a shout out to that defense because I haven't <coughs> haven't broken it down in the uh, capacity that I would have liked. So let's 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 look forward a little bit in this series and then beyond because I do think it's start time to start doing that. And we'll do that right after a quick break. But first, to commemorate last night's win, uh, it is time for the Ultra Moment of the Week, brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Moment of the week, moment of the season, I don't know. I just am thinking about sitting in that arena yesterday. Really, it's just been building game by game um, the incredible amount of joy that this fan base has gotten. We, we They played the Stephen A. Smith clip from first take over the jumbotron pregame of him shouting out the crowd just a ton of happiness coming we saw a fan a young fan rip his jersey off to (laughs) ignite the entire crowd uh that was the moment i don't even care about the final score obviously that happened because they were winning but uh, getting to be in that building getting to see the fans enjoy this season again has been incredible it's only worth it if you enjoy it obviously it's nice that we get to have people in the building again that makes it much more memorable but Fans are doing their part. Um, talked last night about how 
Brandon, my co-host on Mondays, called it a party. I think that's very apt, and uh, it creates success for the team. Joy from the fan base creates success for the team. The players were loving it. They all admitted that, yes, they did watch the kid rip the jersey off. So, uh, guys, it's uh, it, it's awesome. It's been fun. Wherever you are, I'm sure you are feeling it. Again, brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the ultra moment of the week. Only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. And we'll be checking back in with Michelob Ultra throughout the week. Okay, let's uh, let's dive into what we could see from this team, the Suns, Jackson, going forward in this series. But also... I think more importantly, what the Nuggets might have to do here, um, because this is really a back to the wall type of moment. So I think Will Barton playing more seems to make sense, although he said outright that it was a risk for him to be on the floor right now. So I don't love pushing him much further. Michael Porter Jr. needs to play better, but again, an injury situation for him that that doesn't look good in a matchup that I think is is obviously proven to be very difficult for him. Where do you think Denver can go here heading into game three and beyond? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, it's really tough. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what exactly the, the adjustment is. You know, I was, I was talking about it this morning with with a couple of people. Like I, I just, they're just so limited. I mean, they just, they just are. I mean, you, you, you are giving up so much size in certain areas of mobility. I mean, like Murray obviously would help a ton offensively because of the ways that he maybe would get at his two-man game with Jokic, who would get, you know, eight and moving around and things like that. But defensively too, going from the five, nine, five, 10 composite to a guy like Murray, who's six, three, six, four, and is a, is a fine perimeter defender with some size and strength um, really hurts them at the point of attack. Uh, PJ Dozier would be huge in this series. I mean, he, he is, I think he and Aaron Gordon, their two best perimeter defenders, um, two most, I guess, impactful because I think Composite was solid for his size, but you're seeing the limitations there. I, I don't know what I mean. I, I don't want to like sound so like you know. I don't want to just sound so hopeless for the Nuggets, but I think that's how I feel. I'm, I'm, and not even to be biased because obviously I'm, I'm, I'm rooting to see this team keep going, but it's just I don't, I don't know either. It, it, they just are running into a brick wall everywhere that they look. I think, I mean, honestly, I think the answer is, is port is MPJ figures out a little bit as a score. I don't think he's going to figure it out defensively. I mean, these issues that there are, these issues that are being highlighted in these first two games are things that have been his issues defensively for, for a couple of years now. Um, And having Jokic play a little better. I mean, the fact of the matter is like they, it's not Jokic's fault, but they need him to be better than he has been. Like it's, I mean, they're asking a ton of him again. That's maybe it's too much. Um, but he wasn't great in game one. I mean, he was 10 of 23 for 22 points. I think I tweeted it out to the third or fourth time um, this season between the playoffs and the regular and the regular season that he's had more shots than points. Um, in game two, he was better. Um, I think he had 23, 13 on six and like 60% true shooting. Um, but in the regular season, he was averaging 26, 11 and eight on 65% true shooting. And in the first round against the Blazers, albeit a very a much less formidable defense, um, he put a better efficiency and better scoring. So um Again, maybe it's too much to ask of him, but I mean, it's just, I mean, it seems simplistic to say, yes, your two best players and two best offensive guys who are incredible offensive talents need to be better is how you get, that's how you make this series competitive. But I just don't see like some huge schematic, you know, shifts they can make. I mean, like you can compare it to like the Bucks net series where that's been two blowout games, but like the Bucks could like run a more structured offense. They could try and exploit some of the switches a little better rather than just attacking them in isolation. I don't see these like really obvious glaring areas of improvement for the Nuggets. Now, maybe I'm just not quite, you know, as well versed with some of the X's and O's on on that side of things, but I just, I don't, I don't see where the, where the improvement comes from because like 
the one play that I thought was hilarious because I think it was the third quarter, maybe the fourth, um, is Jokic was hedging, trapping all the time against Booker and CP, and they were just picking apart the Nuggets on the back line, right? Whether they were shooters or finishing at the rim with Aiton. And so then finally one possession, Denver's like, okay, we're just gonna drop with it. We're gonna drop with, with Jokic and kind of play traditional coverage. And so Chris Paul went, all right, I'll call DeAndre Aiton up. We're on a high skin and roll, and I'll just waltz into my pull-up jumper on the right side. And he got like the easiest look of the night. Um, so that's not an option either. So I, I don't know. I don't know where they go. They just don't have like, you know, Aiden, you know, Jokic can't switch. They don't have a bunch of wings who can switch. So it's, it's really tough for them. I mean, I, I think Phoenix is going to pretty comfortably win the series. Um, and the only way that Denver can maybe steal a game or two is by, you know, Jokic and MPJ going supernova, which they're obviously very capable of. I think, so I have an idea that I kind of want to bounce off of you, but I think part of the reason that we're seeing this matchup be so ugly. You talked about the size. I, th- I agree Dozier would have been really big in this series, just his ability to be a perimeter option on Booker so that it doesn't have to be Gordon would be really impactful because Gordon, there's a lot of plays you see with all of this pick and roll stuff that everybody's been going crazy over with the Suns where Gordon ideally would be the helper at the rim on some of these plays. And instead he's 30 feet from the basket because Booker no longer has the ball, but he can't leave him mm-hmm. open. Right. So it ends up being Compazzo who actually seems to know this Denver defense better than most, but um, just is, is short and is not obviously not a rim helper. He can kind of be there to check ball handlers or, or whatever, but it's not going to really make a difference. So Dozier being in there would be important, but this, the way that the Suns are able to exploit that is, they, with all of these things on both ends of the floor, I think are able, well, it doesn't matter as much on offense, but especially on defense, are able to scheme out their lack of size. Like I just, they don't really play a style. And and this leads to the thing I want to ask you about, but they don't, you don't notice that they're small because they, they, they take advantage of mismatches. They get guys in the right place. They're long, they're athletic, and they're smart. So you don't really look at that team and think, oh, well, you know, they, they're, they're clearly at a disadvantage. They really aren't. Obviously, they've been a lead on defense all, all season. Um, so I think that that's a big part of it. What that leads me to is I wonder how you feel about, again, knowing that neither of us are necessarily experts or, or know how Mike Malone really f- thinks about coaching, but it feels like they could just upsize because because Millsap has actually had a pretty good series I think Jamichael Green has played pretty well I think the the bench lineup with both of those guys and Porter has actually been one of the times in these moments of the game where I actually think that the, that Denver has something and it's just they don't keep it on the floor obviously because it doesn't have Nikola Jokic involved but do you think that they is it crazy to think that they could just go really really big considering Gordon is already covering Booker most of the time and have Porter effectively playing the two and have Millsap and Gordon and Jokic on the floor or green in there. Is, is that crazy? It seems like they never play that way, but it might be time to, to try something out of the box. Yeah. I mean, I, I get the idea behind it. And obviously, yes, they're, they're in a spot where they like anything they decide to do is going to have, you know, drawbacks and maybe some, you know, positives as well. But I just worry that like, they don't like Millsap, you know, I thought he was good in game one. I thought he actually struggled kind of significantly in game two. Um, but they don't have like kind of that, that mobility and size intersection that a team like the, 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 uh, the Suns do, you know, where, where Crowder and McKellar. You can't move. You're right. He, yeah, he they, can't they, move like that. Millsap and Jamichael can't either. And I think they need Rivers, even though Rivers hasn't done, t- like they need, 
Rivers can at least occasionally get to the rim on his own, right? You know, to an extent, I mean, he had a nice play, I think, in the first half. Maybe it was game one or two where he kind of – it was game two when the Suns went zone and, and the ball swung around and Rivers able to get, get past Crowder and finish a draw foul in the, at the rim. So they, they just need him. So I, I, I definitely could advocate for, you know, maybe shifting Composo into the bench unit. But Composo doesn't have much utility if he's not playing off of Jokic. So, um, and as you mentioned, they like to go with MPJ to lead a lot of those bench units. So uh, I, I, could, I could see it. I mean – I think honestly, the answer is probably putting Monte Morris in there. Like, you know, like he struggled, he struggled and he struggled in this series as a, sh- from, as a shot maker, but like he's a better ball handler and just a better player than Composo. I think, you know, as much as you would love to see what Composo can do defensively, he just is so limited because of his size. So, um, and, and as you mentioned, they just can't extend Barton that much. Like, obviously, if Barton was a full go, you would play him. Like, that's the obvious solution to, to put in the starting lineup. But, um, you also want his kind of creation maybe to to buoy some of the, the second units there without you know, without Jokic. So um, I think it's probably certainly wor- at least worth some sort of lineup change taking out Composo um, and, and getting a little bigger. But I don't think you can go with both of those guys in there because you're just lacking so much mobility for mm-hmm. for a defense that is going to have to try and contain a, a Phoenix offense that has all these moving parts and this screening and this ball movement. So um, my solution would probably be to go with with Morris over Composo, but it doesn't get you much bigger. It gives you a little, little jolt of offense, but I think that could help yeah. just someone who can dribble the ball, you know, because as good as Porter is, I mean, he just is not very good with the ball. I mean, it's not, sorry, not good with the ball. He is not very good. If you ask him like run a pick and roll and things like that, he just yeah. struggles to dribble and has kind of weird, weirdly like slippery hands. It seems like. You turn a few of those misses into um, whether it's the turnovers or the misses, that's really where the Suns in, in the second half of these games have pounced is they're going to, you know, force some turnovers and it's obviously easier said than done to avoid it. They're not just lucking into those. Those are not necessarily mistakes by Denver. Those are the Suns wings literally ripping the ball from players' hands and, and swarming the passing lanes and everything else. But if you, if you can keep the offense afloat for a little longer and have it be more consistent minute to minute, I think that helps um so I, I don't know maybe Barton could even start and play the same low level of minutes but be out there with the starting unit a little bit more I don't know uh maybe to start the second half would be important we'll have to see one more quick stat though talking about the Suns offense uh they were third in the league in terms of corner three frequency this season that's been their bread and butter Mikhail Bridges especially they've actually upped that about a half a percentage point from uh, the regular season of the playoffs, just killing teams, getting the easiest shot in basketball, pretty insane the way that they've been able to juice those over and over and over. But uh, let's look even more forward because this show will go up Friday. We'll have game three on Friday, game four on Sunday. We'll obviously be back on Monday to recap that game four for you, but that might be the end of the series. Potentially. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I do want to start looking toward round three, this other series that is playing out. Jackson's a great person to talk to for that. So we'll do it right after a quick break. First, though, a word from betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your sports action. It's the craziest time of year in sports, guys. There's uh, the French Open's wrapping up right now. We have golf stuff pretty much every single week these days. Fights all the time. MLB, NBA, NHL, all going on. So before the next tip-off, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device. They have constantly updated news, bonuses, and contest info every single day, really every single minute. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore, guys. Get into the game as teams rep for their prep for their run to the title. And the way you're going to do that is to use the website, betonline.ag or their mobile app. Make an account today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code Locked On. Again, 
When you make your first deposit at Bet Online, use the promo code Locked On to get a fifty percent welcome bonus straight to your account. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show also brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. My favorite Built Bar. I'm officially done with the Grasshopper Cookie Pack that I've been telling you guys about. Um, it might be my new favorite. I don't know. It's it's a hard it's a hard group to break into. They've they've settled on these nine. They're all delicious: cherry, raspberry, salted caramel, coconut. Something for everybody, all delicious and all, most importantly, high in protein, but low in calories and low in sugar. So not going to bog you down, not going to be just, you know, you sometimes want to have something after a workout. And if it's too sweet or sugary or, you know, heavy, it doesn't make you feel good. You're like out of breath and, and worn out. And then you have this thing sitting in your stomach. Bill Bar is the opposite. It gives you that power. It gives you uh, the healthy food that you need to get you through the day. Perfect snack, perfect pre or post workout, whatever your use, Built Bar is there for you. So take advantage, go to builtbar.com, figure out what your favorite is or reorder a pack of the favorite you already know you have. You're going to use the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next order. Again, promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. Closing out the show here with Jackson Frank, wanted to pick your brain here. We're, we're through one game. By the time folks hear this, we will be through two games of the other Western Conference semifinal series between the Clippers and the Jazz. Looks like Mike Conley will not play in that game is all we know so far, but we're coming off a a just dazzling performance yet again from Donovan Mitchell in the postseason, raining triples in off the bounce. Just uh, seems like a hard player to beat when he's scoring like that. What did you see from that game? And um We'll get into which of these teams match up better, but we have a whole series to get through first. What do you what are you thinking as you think about that series? Yeah, I mean, I I expect Utah to win that series. Even you know, I, I know Mike Conley is you know out for at least the first couple of games. You know, it's a bummer he's had such a great year. Hopefully, he can correct that soon and come back maybe for game three or game four. Um, but I I mean, I've t- I've I've tweeted about it. And I've written about it. I I I can't. I know it's worked in round one. But it does drive it, it, it. My the basketball part of me, I I I don't like that the Clippers get away with small ball without rim protection. I, I hated that it worked against the Clippers or against the Mavericks. Excuse me. I don't think it'll work against the the Jazz because the Jazz have a much more cohesive offensive attack in the sense that you know it's almost like similar. To, like I think Phoenix is similar to Utah in the sense offensively that that Portland is similar to Dallas. If that kind of, if that, yeah, if that, yeah. I think that makes out. perfect sense. So um, I think in that, like, and, and because of that, I think you saw late, I mean, late in game uh, in game. I mean, even the entire game, honestly, like, I mean, the jazz, would they miss like 17 or 18 shots in a row? Most of those looks in game one were like really good shots. Like, like, yeah, I go ahead and make the, oh, like, are they the Rockets part two from 2018? Like hmm. they were getting good shots, but they, they put, you know, kind of the, one of the phrases that has seemed to become pretty popular these days is like putting their, they put the Clippers in rotation so much in game one and they don't have like, and they have, you know, one of the best finishers in, in Rudy Gobert is also a good rebounder. So I, I just don't think that, you know, the Clippers are going to go big again. I think Tyler has really liked what they get offensively from that small ball lineup. Um, and I think that's going to hurt them because Utah can exploit them offensively um, in a way that I don't think, you know, Lu- you know, the, the Luca led maps quite could. It was kind of, you know, Luca or Buster, you know, not that Luca was created, not that Luca was scoring every bucket, but um, a lot of the quality looks that the role players got were because of the attention Luca commands. So um, there's a lot more diversity. You can run things through Mitchell, obviously, when he's hitting like that in the second half. Um, pretty tough to stop. I mean, you see, you saw some of the, you know, the limitations of Mitchell as a lead creator in, in the first half, but um, you've still got, you've still got a guy like Joe Ingles, Rudy Gobert, obviously, for even despite all the kind of the 
over 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 extension of the impact of screen of screening and whatnot. He is a tremendous screener and opens up a lot of things for them. Uh, you know, Royce O'Neal can attack off the catch a little bit when he's kind of making the right decisions. You know, you have Boyan who uh, is a pretty nice kind of solid complimentary scorer. So I just trust Utah to win this series uh, even without Conley. I think Conley will help a lot because I just like you know kind of the the steady and presence he gives them in pick and rolls. He has great chemistry this year with Rudy in those pick and rolls in a way that I don't think Mitchell has ever quite gotten to with, with Gobert. They've gotten better over the years, but there's just kind of a, a different style in terms of how Conley and Mitchell like to do things in pick and roll. And I think Conley style suits Gobert a little better. Um, yeah. But I just, I just trust, I mean, like they just don't have a rim protector and you're going against a guy like Rudy Gobert, who's going to crush you on the glass and is an awesome finisher and has, and plays in an offense that can kind of, you know, get the ball moving and get guys into kind of scramble mode. Uh, and I it just I just don't think there's quite enough smart defensive players in that small ball. Line. I mean, Marcus Morris is a great, great scorer, but if you can get him kind of in impromptu decisions defensively, even Rajon Rondo, um, you know, even in Reggie Jackson is struggled defensively. So uh, Batum was good, but you're kind of it's kind of those three wings and they didn't even they didn't even close with Batum. They went with Kennard in, in game two, in game one. So. Uh, it's kind of those three wings carrying the, you know, the collective defensive smarts. And then a couple of guys are probably going to be glaring negatives. I'm just, I just think against a, a well-balanced attack like Utah, even without Conley, you know, it, it's really tough to stop. You're right. Where did the phrase come from? Or, I mean, I know what it means, but like all of a sudden it's very en vogue to say, put into rotation. I like it. I've used it. Cause yeah. I obviously talking about the Suns, like I, I throw that around a lot about who, who, who like started the idea of using that. It, it, it did come out of nowhere. I feel probably, like this it's season, probably a Steve Jones and Matthias Duncan thing, or maybe a draft Twitter thing. Every, everything comes from those three. I feel like in terms of the basketball <laughs> lexicon through Twitter, but yeah, it's, it's a great, great phrase. I, it makes total sense. I just hadn't really, really used it before, but it's a great, great way. To I think of, it is Steve. I feel like it's him. I think I mean, he's, he's got experience in the league. I'm sure to think he's so he's so new to the basketball Twitter universe, relatively speaking, the past couple of years that we all had. We were all slow on the uptake, but then it's like, oh, we have a we have a genius in our midst. We probably should <laughs> exactly. start uh, using the same language that he uses. But no, I've I've very much um, come around. I, I talked all year. I would do these updates and and be, you know, especially as we got toward the end of the season and we didn't know what the standings were going to look like until literally the last night of the year. I, I talked all the time about how. The Clippers were one of the teams I probably was most scared of and in terms of a Suns matchup. And I've pretty much flipped on that. I don't worry about them as much. One, because I just sort of thought we would see the dominance by now if we were going to. And like, don't get me wrong, what they did in game six and what Kawhi is capable of when he is going is pretty terrifying. But I just haven't seen that collective um, like you're talking about. I just we, we haven't really seen it one to eight in a playoff game all come together in a really dazzling way yet. And I think the improvements by eight and make me just less worried about facing the Clippers. Like I just, I, I would have been worried that they could go small and all these things that they're trying to do to Utah that they did against the Mavericks front line, everything else. And I just think Aiton has improved enough where I'm, I'm less concerned there. And he's such a threat offensively and, and has improved his intelligence defensively and his effort level and all that stuff that, I'm, it's not to say I would pick the Suns necessarily over the Clippers. I probably would lean that way. But all that to say, Utah is the team I think I would be more worried about. And because they're so similar, because they both have these two guards that are kind of coming into their own this year, Mitchell has more of a track record. This is his third postseason, but still um, would be an awesome 
battle to watch play out and the contrast of styles where Mitchell is sort of all pull up three and Booker is, is um, still developing that shot as part of his arsenal. I think this playoff run has been a, a, oh, not a wake up call because they're winning, but a, a lesson for him in the value and, and, and the importance of being able to get to that shot and make it. And so all of that and just the way that, that Utah um, has this depth and, and the size on the wing and all this stuff. I just think I do agree with you. They seem to be trending in the right direction in this series and they, they kind of scare me in terms of Suns matchup. So uh, how, how do you think about the, these two teams matching up against the Suns? And then, I mean, mostly the, the jazz and, and what a potential matchup like that could be considering those are the two teams ahead in the series right now. Yeah, I mean, so I I actually think Utah is a is a better matchup for Phoenix to an extent. I, I think, but I but I do think there is. I mean, to me, what so my, my reason for that is that I think what you need. I tweeted out last night is that what you need to slow Phoenix's attack is you need good good point of attack defenders with size, and you need mobile help defenders on the back line, and that's a really tough combination to to have i i don't quite think utah has either of those things i mean they mike conley is a very good point of attack defender uh, and and has been quite good i think this year in that regard um at least for stretches but um he doesn't quite have the size and then on the back end you're asking guys like joe ingles and boyan bogdanovich to make rotations and that's you know ingles i think in his heyday i mean he's still a very good player but like i think he's lost a lot of his defensive you know ability because he's just less mobile these days and then boyan is not you know, Boyan's a great commenter, offensive player, as I said, but he has struggles defensively. And so um, I think having a guy like Gobert, you know, helps a lot. Um, you know, you, I mean, you're going to see, I mean, if this is a matchup we get in the in the next round, you're going to see such a, such a contrast in terms of what the help defenders have to do to help cover for what Jokic does defensively versus what Gobert can do. Um, but I, but I just think like they don't quite have that. And so, and the Suns aren't a team that lives at the rim. I mean, you know, they, they had a better, they had a rim frequency this year of 27.2% per clean glass, which was in the 30th yeah. percentile among teams. Yeah. So Bad. they're just, I mean, they're just not a team that like, you know, yes, Gobert is great, but like, it's not quite the same idea where like they, like the Phoenix needs to get downhill all the time to make things happen. They're going to kill you from the corners. They're going to shoot a bunch of threes. They're going to crush you from mid range. Um, and obviously Gobert can kind of extend it out, but um, as defensively you want, I mean, even though they can do a lot of things, you know, from well up beyond the basket, you know, if you're Utah, you want him in the paint. And if you're anyone else, you want him farther away to maybe take him away for that opens cutters, you know, for the Mikel baseline cuts, even Booker is a pretty good cutter too. So um, I just don't know if they have kind of the, the point of attack and help defenders, even though Gobert is, is quite good. Um, but conversely, with the, you, you still have a lot of poor defenders around PG, Kawhi, and even Batum. That's fair. No, I, I agree. Like in terms of, what we've seen the Suns do to this Denver defense, I think the Clippers would be probably more equipped to do that, right? But um, one part of me is is I just am probably less worried about the Clippers offense. Again, it's like if Kawhi can muster up what we've seen him do, that, that changes things. It doesn't seem like that's a seven-game type of performance from him. It's really not one from anybody. But other than that, like, I just think the Suns can contain what the Clippers mostly try to do on offense, which is uh, not a lot most of the time and, and very much mismatch oriented and shooting oriented and everything else. I just don't imagine the Suns having a ton of trouble there. So, you know, they might lose when they're on offense a little bit more than they are against Denver, but I still think the defensive advantage would be there. I think just the balanced attack from Utah, I think that they could play to a draw a little bit better than I think the Clippers could. And I just, I think I default. So I think that 
to me right now, Utah just seems like the better team. Um, so I think that's why I'm probably a little more worried, but I think they'd both be pretty that every game, all six of the games that the Suns played against those two opponents were pretty ridiculous and fun and close. So I think either one would be a very, very tight series and, and the odds would be pretty close there. Um, and I'm excited. I, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves breaking down one or the other, because again, it is so tight, but um, that that's, that's where my head is. I'm already, I'm already kind of starting and I'm going to be watching those games pretty closely. I know Suns fans will as well, um, but that should wrap us up here, guys. Appreciate I like to go a little longer on these Friday shows and break some stuff down since I know folks will be listening all weekend. Enjoy game four. Jackson, what do you have to plug for us? What can people look for from you playoff wise or, or anything else? Yeah. Uh, one correction to issue that they're not 30th percentile room frequency. They were 30th out of 30 teams. Yeah. They were the worst in the NBA at room uh, frequency. Yeah. 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 So, but uh, plug wise, I mean, I, I wrote a piece about kind of what's, what's ailing the Bucks offense um, right now over at the analyst. You can just go to the analyst.com. It'll be found there. I guess it might be a little, little less. Uh, well, we'll see. I mean, maybe maybe it's more relevant, or maybe you can figure out what they fixed after Game Three tonight um, on Thursday. Uh, I do apologize. It sounds like someone outside of my house is some of the maintenance workers is trimming hedges right now. So apologies for any background noise there for the listeners. But um, I'll kind of keep chugging out playoff content. It's been been fun to you know have a little smaller sample of things to analyze. Makes it a little easier to stay on top of things and write articles. So been a pretty busy you know first two or three weeks of the playoffs for me, but. I'll continue to be here and I, I hope you know Brendan and I we can we can kind of talk more about the Suns as they can hopefully make it even deeper in the playoffs. It's been quite fun, but I think they got even even bigger things ahead than a than a 2-0 lead in the second round. That's what we like to hear heading into the weekend. Enjoy your Friday, folks. We'll be back. Well, locker room on Friday at noon if you join us there. And then Monday with Brandon as we are every single week, breaking down game four and potentially uh the end or close to it of this second round series. <laughs>